0: Well, as we're in this uh, third week of Advent now, uh, like we mentioned in the beginning, the historical pattern of, of worship that we're following this year uh, calls for a particular emphasis on joy during this third week, and, and it's a joy that's not only sourced in the fact that Jesus has come, of course, certainly we rejoice this Advent season because Jesus has come and proved to be the effective Savior that God has, has long promised, so there's great joy in Jesus' first coming. Uh, But with that present joy that we have because Jesus has already come, there's also a compulsion toward a future and more full joy that we'll realize in a kind of completeness that will occur upon Jesus Christ's return. Uh, as we've said, the season of Advent doesn't only bring us to consider the first coming of Christ, but it actually orients us and compels us to look forward to Jesus' second coming and the implications of that, of that amazing reality. So He came once, He's coming again, and with that coming again, there's a final salvation, fulfillment, and joy that we still wait for. And so it's that, that present but still future aspect of joy uh, that we're going to be thinking through this morning. And we're going to do so by taking on Isaiah chapter 12 uh, for our course of study. And again, it's, it'll be helpful for you to turn there as we, as we work our way through it. Um, and we'll set the context for Isaiah 12 in this way. When it comes to thinking about the future... Uh, there can be all kinds of different uh, thoughts that come to our minds. Those thoughts about the future can sometimes be very exciting. Uh, for example, we can be energized by uh, plans and aspirations that we're working toward. We can think about those future opportunities that are coming and, and be, uh, be consumed with that, that bright excitement where things are full of opportunity. Uh, so we can think about the future in that way. Uh, but then thinking about the future can also stir up in us a kind of daunting emotion uh, even here as we're on the edge of a new year, there can be a, a kind of trepidation that we experience as we think about what the future will hold, particularly as we think about are we going to be healthy or not? What is 2022 going to be like in regards to all these things we've been facing the last couple of years? Uh, as we think about the future, we can not only uh, find ourselves anticipating and excited, but we can also find ourselves intimidated by the unknowns. Uh, and so uh, as we come to Isaiah chapter 12... Uh, We find a passage that is orienting us toward a future, uh, but is orienting us toward a future in a way that helps us transcend the immediacies of the things that we might be facing right now, Uh, which, of course, is going to be very uh, important given the experience of Isaiah's first audience as he's a prophet sent to the people of Israel and Judah during a time of their significant rebellion, because as Israel is looking to the future, at least if they're looking to the future immediately in the context of Isaiah's ministry with soft hearts, which is something that they've been struggling with, but if they can look to the future with soft hearts, the excitement piece is not going to be there so much for them as is the daunting piece because of what God has told them He's going to do with regard to judgment judgment. Um, so at this time in Israel and Judah's history, the people of Israel, they've, uh, they've found themselves very, very far from the Lord. In fact, in, in chapter one, if you want to read that for homework later on, in chapter one of the book of Isaiah, uh, we read that the people had abandoned the Lord. Uh, they're actually likened to the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah there in, in Isaiah chapter one. So because of, of, of political and, and the military climate of the day, uh, the people are, are very concerned about what their future holds. But instead of trusting in the Lord, who's proved Himself faithful down through Israel's history to deliver them as they trust in Him, instead of trusting in Him, uh, they have they have... Place their trust elsewhere. Uh, So we read through through the book of Isaiah how how Judah has gone after uh, fortune tellers in chapter two to figure out what the what the future is going to hold for them. They've worshipped false gods, gods they've made with their own hands. So there's this a very blatant idolatry going on. Um, In terms of staying safe, the people of God are putting their ultimate trust in even things like heroes and warriors, like chapter three tells us. So these uh, these people who they trust will go to battle for them and win. Uh, But with all of this, they have uh, simply abandoned the Lord in terms of their trust. They've abandoned the Lord, and they've also abandoned the way of life that the Lord calls for. And so we read things like they're not caring for those who are in need. We read things about how how neighbors are oppressing neighbors, and even how how the young act arrogantly toward those who are older. So so Isaiah comes to the people of God when they're in the context of, of significant rebellion. And he brings God's word to God's people during this unprecedented time of farness and and rejection of God. They're they're not trusting in the Lord. And, and, And so, of course, because they're not trusting in the Lord, it's also no surprise. We read about all these morally corrupt practices that they've adopted and how that's infiltrated the whole of their lives. And Isaiah comes to them with God's word confronting them regarding their idolatry and their oppression and all of these kinds of things. But he doesn't just come and do that. Isaiah doesn't just come and bring them God's word about judgment that's coming, uh, but he comes and brings them God's word about the future, which, according to Isaiah, is, is, is certainly one of judgment because the people have rebelled against the Lord. As time goes by, the Lord's actually going to use Assyria, and then the Lord is going to use Babylon to come and, and, uh, and conquer the people. They're going to be taken off into exile. But the future doesn't only hold that prospect of judgment. Uh, we also know, uh, just as we also know with the as we always know with the working of God, that the just and deserved judgment of God upon rebellious people never comes alone. But what we also discover is that God manifests his own grace to undeserving people. Uh, just and deserved judgment never exists without the context of Lord of the Lord's abounding kindness he's the god who not only brings this just judgment on the people but he's also the god who promises uh to save those who will turn to him he promises to preserve a remnant and and um shower them with his undeserved and forgiving favor. And so in Isaiah chapter 1 to 12, really we have a a kind of summative introduction to this truth. Uh, I was talking to Kristen earlier and telling her that one of the commentators on Isaiah, who's very helpful, he describes Isaiah, uh, the whole book of Isaiah, really being the the trajectory of redemptive history in miniature. So we begin the book of Isaiah with rebellious people. We end the book of Isaiah with new creation. It's what God is going to do. And within the, the totality of that whole Isaiah picture, he then calls chapters 1 to 12, Isaiah in miniature, because really what we have in chapters 1 to 12 is the same thing. We have a picture of people who have rebelled against God, who have gone against God's good way, who have found themselves extremely distant from the Lord because of their behavior, their rejection of Him, all of those things, but again, that's never the final word with God. Because Isaiah here in chapter 12 also expounds these climactic mercies of God's kindness. And and it's actually this kindness, this forgiving grace of God that's going to be affected ultimately, as we see in places like Isaiah chapter 9, through this son who's going to be born. So a child's going to be born from the royal line of David. He's going to be the king, and the child's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion's going to be vast, that God says through Isaiah, and its his prosperity's never going to end. So, so the future for the people of Israel and Judah, and even the future for the people of Assyria and Babylon and the surrounding nations, the future is one that, that's dim with judgment in these first chapters, but the God of judgment is also and always The God of grace. And as we get into Isaiah chapter 12, the future is not just one of dreaded condemnation from God, but the future is also one uh, where those who return to the Lord will be found in the future singing this extraordinary song of joy. And it's this future song of joy that we want to focus our attention on uh, this morning. When we think about the future as, as those affected ultimately by the coming of the Son of God who brings these fountains of salvation like we'll see here, when we think about the future, there can be so many different things that go through our minds. Even right now, as you think about what the future holds, there can be, there can be aspects that are, that, that are exciting, there can be prospects that lie ahead that fill us with a kind of anxiety and fear. Whatever comes though, as we consider a passage like this, We come to a passage like this and we recognize that as we look far enough into the future because of what God has done for us in Christ, the future is set in this kind of abounding grace and fullness of joy context that we look forward to no matter what comes in the in-between time. So when we look far enough into the future, we can be sure that no matter what comes, for those who are trusting in Jesus, our future selves, if we can put it in those kind of terms, our future selves are going to be singing with great delight. That's the end. And so and so, as we come to this, this passage, we can work through it in a way that helps to uh, work that kind of hope into our hearts. It helps to uh, compel our own perseverance knowing that this is God's ultimate end for those who are found to be uh, trusting in Him. And so here we have this, this future song sourced in joy. And we'll look first of all at verses 1 and 2 if you want to look at those verses. And in verses 1 and 2, we see that this future song is, is going to be a in part at least, a personal song about God's particular grace. It's going to be a personal song about God's particular grace. Let me, let me just read verses 1 and 2 again. So Isaiah says, On that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust in Him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord Himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So this section starts with the phrase, on that day. Uh, And and of course, our immediate question is, on what day? Uh, what, what, What day sets the scene for this future song that we're going to be singing? And we have that answer as we go back into the content of chapter 11. Uh, and back in chapter 11, we have an account of what it will be like when the long-promised king, namely Jesus, reigns over the earth. So it's, a, it's an expression there of what the messianic kingdom is going to be like in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, so, so we read there that there's this immense picture of what Things will be like under God's long-promised ultimate king. So, so for example, uh, Jesus' reign is going to be a time of perfect justice. We read that in chapter 11. And, and Jesus' reign is going to be a time when, when wickedness is going to be powerfully eradicated and entirely eradicated. Uh, it'll be a time of peace. So we have statements like the wolf and the lamb are going to dwell together. And it's going to be a time when the knowledge of the Lord will fill the land like the sea is filled with water. The knowledge of the Lord will fill the land like the sea is filled with water. So this is the day we look forward to. This is not the day that we're currently living in. In fact, Julia was telling me this week she had a patient who recently passed away, and so she was looking through the obituaries in the Oregonian to see if she could find their obituary, and it wasn't in there. Uh, But she read some 50 obituaries that were listed, and apart from one small reference to a Catholic service, there was no reference to faith of any sort listed in those obituaries that had been written this week in the Oregonian. Right now, the knowledge of the Lord does not fill the earth as, as water fills the sea. That is not the context that we're living in right now, and we know that all too well. But there's going to come this day under Jesus' reign when everything is different and the glories of God are going to be known far and wide in this astounding way. And, and so then in, verses, in verse 10 of chapter 11, we read that on that day, on that day, when, when the amazing realities are brought about by God's long-promised king, on that day, the Lord will gather His people together from all across the world. On that day. That day of the messianic reign of Christ. And, and then, here we're beginning chapter 12, and what does it say? Well, on that day, on, on that same day, on, on, this, on this climactic day in redemptive history, when Jesus returns to reign in the perfection of His lordship and saving kindness, on that day, this chapter 12 song is going to begin for us. This, this, song, that our future, oops, shh, Siri. this song that our future selves are going to be singing uh, when Jesus comes back. Clearly, I didn't talk well enough to my watch. Siri and I, we have a very difficult relationship. I'm sorry about that. Let's just put her away. Um, so, verses 1 and 2, like we see there, because of all this, this occurring on this day, the, 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 the song that we're going to begin with is this personal song about God's particular grace. And if we want to use those songs like personal and particular uh, very purposefully. Uh, because in this chapter, we actually have a differentiation in, in singular and plural singing, which might not sound all that exciting at first, but, but it's really important to understand what's going on here. By the time we get to, to a verse 3 of our chapter, if you just look at verse 3, the, the more literal way to translate the Hebrew there is to say, you all will joyfully draw water and so on. It, you all, it's a second person plural there. It's a, it's a corporate emphasis on the whole people of God in verse 3. But here in verses 1 and 2, the you isn't plural, it's singular in Hebrew, you. And, and that's even punctuated further in our translations when we read the, the I's and me's and my's of these first two verses. They, 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 they demonstrate that there's a singular focus here, a personal and particular focus to what's going on. Uh, So so as we think about the future, uh, come what may, between now and the time of Jesus' return, as we think about the future, the joyful song of salvation that our future selves will be singing, at least in part, is going to be this personal song. So so look at the verses, and and, and notice how this works out. Verse 1, it's going to be a song about how God was angry with me because of my sin. So, So it'll be a song That acknowledges that however the rest of us have sinned against God, I have sinned, I have gone contrary to the right and holy will of God. And I have done that in my very personal, Jared kind of way that is deserving of God's anger against me personally. Although you were angry with me, the text says. After all, God's perfectly good and just, and He gave me the breath in my mouth. How dare I use the life He gave me to think and act and live in rebellion against Him? My future joyful song will be a song where I acknowledge that my personal uh, brand and kind of sinning rightly stirred up God's anger against me personally. But that's not the end. The, the, The main thing to see here is that this personal song will not be a song that's ultimately focused on my sin and God's anger with me. In fact, it's going to be a song that's ultimately focused on the fact that God has turned His anger away from me. It's a grace song where God has personally comforted me. Verse 1, and God has been salvation for me. You see how specific this is? Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. The implications of this are, are fairly remarkable. Just think about this. The future song of salvation that we'll sing will not be a generic, one-size-fits-all kind of salvation song. Our future song of salvation will be, at least in part, intensely personal. So, so God, in your undeserved kindness, you turned away your anger from me and saved me from those very Jared-like sins. Right? And God, you've now comforted me in the exact way in which my sin toward Jared like tempted and troubled heart needs to be comforted. Isn't that just something to think about? The salvation song you'll sing in the future will be a song about how those particular and personal besetting sorrows and sins and woes and regrets and burdens and sources of deep sadness and brokenness in this life. Your future salvation song will be about how the Lord of the universe in the climactic return and ministry of Jesus Christ brings total and complete comfort to all those sources of guilt and shame and pain particular to you personal, private, deeply damaging realities in our lives. They're going to be assuaged. They're going to be eternally eased and consoled and will be renewed by God's particular personal comfort. You have comforted me. So it makes total sense that we sing what we do in verse 2 here. Our future selves are going to sing, I will trust. I will not be afraid because the Lord Himself is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. You hear the realization of hope that's reflected in this song. The trust we have, the strength we have. You've become my salvation. There's a full recognition of what God has done on my behalf for me in this personal way. We understand how intensely important this is if we're really going to have a full appreciation of what awaits us on the final day. If, if I'm uh, going to, to be comforted by a close friend of mine, And I come to them because I have a troubled heart. And they say generalities like, well, I think you're really good and everything is going to be fine. That in no way assuages any of the burden that's going on in my heart. Generalities ultimately never seem to bring me comfort. Have you experienced that where you sit down with somebody and you're struggling and you're you're sorrowful and all of these things, and they throw a couple niceties at you, they care about you, they want to be kind, throw a couple niceties at you and you leave that, and how do you feel? How do you feel? Well, (laughs) it was nice to be with them I guess but I'm still just as weighed down as I was before to really be comforted means there's a personal aspect of relief that comes pointed directly at the personal burden and sorrow and brokenness and sin and all of these kinds of things and we just need to think about that in terms of how we're going to be looking at our future with God with Christ and all the newness that he's going to bring there is going to be particular and pointed comfort so much so that we're going to be singing, singing about how he has become our salvation now there's a sense in which jesus has already become our salvation hasn't he i mean that's what we're celebrating at christmas time the lord has come he's come he's lived that perfect life he's gone to the cross he's died on our behalf he's risen again to guarantee our new life in that sense jesus has already become our salvation and we're already comforted by that we know the measure of our our guilt is gone Uh, all of these kinds of things we realize genuine gospel comfort right now but again even that Is just a taste of the fullness of what's coming in a very personal way because of what Christ has done. Total relief of all burdens for you. It's an amazing reality. This is the song we're going to sing. We are going to sing about that. It's so glorious. I'd sing right now, except that'd be embarrassing for all of us, but this is what we're going to do. It's so glorious, O Lord, that those things that have burdened me for so long have now been totally relieved, and I'm just free and light. That's true rest. So, so we see here. How, how this is coming and, and bringing relief, even for Isaiah's original audience. You remember, Isaiah's original audience, they're burdened in all kinds of different particular ways. Some of, them, some of them, you can tell just from reading Isaiah 1 and 2, are carried away by fortune tellers. Some are carried away by manufacturing their own idols. Some are carried away by concerns about military power, like the rulers of the day, uh, certain kings and so on. And, and, but, but, but all of that, they need to understand, and is, is centered in the fact that the Lord is actually going to be the one who is our salvation. He's the one who comes and works this particular grace for us so our future selves are going to be singing this personal song and and we can hardly imagine the glories of, of, of what of what that will mean for us this is one of those passages that you start to study and you realize there's no words to describe what's here because there's no full experience of what's here yet all we can do is look forward and know whatever we think it's going to be it's going to be more glorious than we can ever think it's going to be So we have this personal comfort, this personal comfort, which as we move through things here is why there's this joy aspect that we find next and reflected so corporately. So we move from this personal aspect of God's particular uh, grace to us that we're going to be singing about in verses 1 and 2. As we get into verse 3, it's not just going to be a personal song that we're singing, but there's also this corporate song about God's provision of joyful satisfaction for His people. His joyful satisfaction for His people. So look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, You, or you all, will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. So again, here the it, it spreads out. It's not singular anymore. It's corporate. All those whom God gathers in for salvation, Isaiah is saying, you all will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation on that day. Remember the day that we're talking about. The day of Jesus' messianic reign. So, so because the land of Israel was an arid climate, uh, springs and wells, they represented what was, what was needed to sustain life. Um, in fact, in Psalm 32, which we read for our pardon after the confession this morning, David references that. He's, he's a man in a dry, dry land. Uh, But this imagery is picked up often in the scriptures. David, for example, in Psalm 63, he talks about this too when he's feeling far from the Lord, spiritually distanced from God. What does he say? He says, well, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Um, And and here in Isaiah 12, that kind of of well or spring theme, the need for water in a dry and arid place is picked up. And what's described in this future song is not a condition of thirst, but instead what we have is this expression of, of, of total satisfaction and delight because there's this deep and joyful, satisfying flow from salvation spring pictured here. It's wonderful imagery. It's a fulfillment ultimately of what Jesus promises to the woman at the well. Remember when he's speaking to her and he says, whoever drinks the water that I will give will never thirst again. But the water that I will give will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. This is a fulfillment of that that promise that Jesus himself comes to fulfill. So, so, so the song that we're going to sing in the future is not just a song about how we're personally and particularly comforted uh, by the reconciling and restoring grace of God. But the song we're going to be singing in the future is a corporate song about how the Lord is the abundant source of joyful and satisfying uh, salvation for us. And, and if this is the future song we're going to sing, it does indicate that corporately as God's people, there, there is a present kind of parched nature to life that we can recognize. And, and this, is, this, is, this is very much the, the way it is. As we, as we go on in faith, aren't there days, maybe even weeks or months or years, where our mouth is just dry, spiritually speaking? We have an awareness of that. There's that arid sense to our corporate condition as God's people. The temptations to sin seem to to be draining us. The distractions to trust in, in other people and things and entities. Those distractions, they're exhausting to us. They leave us thirsty. There's that arid sense to our lives. And we recognize that even now in different seasons. But the final song we sing in corporate worship, we need to know it will not include lyrics like, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Every hint of melancholy and concern for those things that draw us away from Christ will be gone for us as God's people. And instead, our future song is going to be punctuated by this joy, this delight, this bliss and elation that there's, that there's this fountain of salvation that overflows with eternal provision for us because of what Christ has done. So so the arid land of our heart and lives will be drenched, if you like, in this constant and superabundant water of God's renewing and life-giving grace. Which, which we can understand is so important for us to, to take in now because there's a sense in which God's uh, springs of salvation do overflow for us now. In fact, isn't that how, how Paul speaks about God's grace in abounding terms, where where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. There is an overflowing of God's kindness to us. Even David in Psalm 32, which we read, uh, the, 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 the floodwaters of judgment don't overwhelm us. Instead, God is the one who nourishes him and so on. We recognize that even now there is this abundant stream that we're nourished by as Christ's people. He's the one who gives us the truth of His Word, who gives us the living living animation that His Holy Spirit brings to our heart. All of these things are true for us now, but there's a full and a climactic sense in which... The experience of the, of, of, of the totality of that in, in our lives pervasively in every part of us is going to be experienced so much so that there's never going to be a moment of parchedness in our spiritual life, but instead we will only be consumed by the fullest sense of God's grace. And this is such an experiential thing to speak about. But you think about those times in your life. It may be in a corporate worship service. It may be, it may be in, a, in, a, in a Bible study with a friend. It may be as you're sharing the gospel with someone where you have an awareness of God's presence in your life, an awareness of that newness and, and even that, that stimulating power. And there's that unique uh, aspect of God's presence that, you, that you're just aware of in a special kind of way. And you think, oh, if I could just, if I could just hang on to that forever. If I could just go on feeling that kind of awareness of God's presence with me forever. And that's just a little glimpse of the kind of thing that's being talked about here. There's this unending stream, unending supply of God's grace washing over us fully. And what is our response to that? How are we going to be coming to that spring? We're going to be coming to that spring in full of enormous joy. Full of, full of elation that this is the condition we can live in now. There's no more wandering. There's no more heartache. Corporately as God's people, we're simply going to be saying, there's total satisfaction here. I couldn't want more. This is the fullness of everything that I've longed for. And the happiness that we're experiencing in God, as God's people is going to be without measure. Joy exists now. We know that about being gospel people. Paul goes on about that at a significant length in the book of Philippians. Joy can exist in the midst of sorrow as Christian believers. Joy absolutely exists now. We are happy people. Why are we happy people, though, right now? We are happy people because we have a future hope. Paul says it, too, doesn't he, in, to, to the Corinthians. If it weren't for the resurrection, we would actually be pitiable people if it weren't for that future. We're happy people now. We have joy even in the midst of sorrow because we are a people of future hope. This song right here that we're singing is that song of future hope realized. This is that fullness of joy that we're longing for, that we're looking forward to. Those springs of living water washing over us in completeness and satisfaction and bringing us to that spot of total rejoicing, which is something to think about when we have our dark days, isn't it? When those days are low, we think... Even as God's people, we think about the divisions that are going on among God's people, even even politically now for various reasons. And and we think about the, the moral failings that can be such a discouragement and leave a sour taste in our mouth. We can feel parched by all of these things. What is going on with all of this? It feels so dry and arid. But we know that's not the final word. That's not the final song. The final song we're going to be singing is a song of complete satisfaction from the springs of Christ's salvation that bring that kind of renewal that causes us to live the totality of eternity in, in, in complete and in utter joy, which is just something to look forward to. That's why we can be happy now, because of what's coming then. We have this guarantee that we're looking forward to. In fact, we have a little taste of that song that we're going to sing right here. This is what we'll be saying. It doesn't feel like that because life is busy. It doesn't feel like that because the obligations are real and the weights are heavy and the sin tangles us up and all of these things. But this is where we find ourselves trusting. This is where the people who Isaiah first preached to needed to find themselves trusting. All these things going on with the Assyrians coming down, the Babylonians later on, and this king making an alliance with that king and doing something stupid again over here. All that kind of stuff, it's going to come. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be damaging. You have been awfully sinful after all, but this is not your final song we need to recognize that this is that these things that go on in the now are not our final song either but we look forward to something so much greater which which means that uh, that that will spill over. The, 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 that corporate joyful singing is, isn't actually the final effect of all this, but because if you look at verses 4 and 5 as we keep moving through this, the joyful satisfaction that we'll all be experiencing is going to result in this worldwide proclamation, this universal proclamation there in verses 4 and 5. So here's verse 4. On that day, there we are again, you will say, you will say so here's this proclamation, give thanks to the Lord, proclaim His name. Make known his works among the peoples. Declare that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. So, so we've all had the experience of, of of something being so wonderful that all we want to do is talk about. It might be a vacation we went on. We just want to tell everybody we know because it was so great. It might even be a hamburger that we have that we want to talk about. That's got to be what's behind all the, all the, all the food posts on Instagram. This is just so exciting. I have to show everybody I know a picture of this amazing meal, which is understandable. And then I want to go buy it and eat it, and that's, that's great. But we have this compulsion in us when something's really wonderful. We want to just share it with the world. We want to tell everybody we know. We have an accomplishment at work. We want to tell everybody we know about it. We move forward in our, in our education in an exciting way. We want to tell everybody we know about it. A second grader draws a nice picture school what do they do they want to come home and they want to tell everybody they know about it and put it up on the fridge for the whole world to see we have this compulsion in us if something's really wonderful we want to share it we want to speak about it we can't we can't help ourselves and in an ultimate sense that is what our future selves will be doing upon a full realization of god's salvation we won't be able to stop talking about it there'll be no containment of it you remember how back in chapter 11 isaiah spoke about the whole earth being filled with the knowledge of god like the waters filled the sea why why will that be why will the whole world be full of the knowledge of God when Jesus comes to bring in his kingdom? Well, well, one reason is we who are there in that kingdom world with Christ will be consumed with speaking about the Lord. It's all we're going to be able to talk about. That's one reason why the world's going to be full of the knowledge of God. It's all we're going to be speaking about in, in, in some sense. Right? We'll, we'll declare, like Isaiah says here, we'll declare the Lord's name. Or, or the, the Lord's name is exalted. So so to say the name of somebody, to say the name of somebody, that's to wrap up all we know about them in a word, isn't it? There's a number of names I could say in the news right now, and immediately what would come to mind? Well, a whole world of, 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 of maybe happy thoughts, a whole world of grumpy thoughts, all kinds of things come to our mind just with the mention of a name. The salvation song we sing will be focused on the name of the Lord, which is to say, It will focus on the depths of what we've come to know about His holy, gracious, wise, majestic, true, all-good, all-gracious personhood. So, So we'll be saying to each other, can you believe the Lord? Can you believe this? And what we'll mean is, can you believe the majestic comfort that's been applied to us by God in Christ? Can you believe how indescribably wonderful it is to know the full and final eternal comfort of God right now? Can you believe that you know one day we will all be in that new creation position and we'll be speaking to each other? Can you believe how wonderful it is? I know we've read about it in the Bible, but I can't... This this is so outstanding. This is so amazing. The the earth will be full of of these kinds of glorious conversations and proclamations. Can you believe this unending fountain of peace and reconciliation and grace, this flowing from what Christ did for us? Our future selves are going to be saying things like it's beyond expectation and imagination to experience the kind of God, the kindness of God in these, in these ways. So we're going to be declaring God's name across the world. All that He is and all that He's done, that will be the content of our speech to each other. And so, and so we put all this together. And then this is, this is going to be the song that our future selves sing. C- come what may in between. Who knows what the next year holds? Who knows what next week holds? But this will be the song our future selves sing. It will be a song of very personal salvation grace. You, Lord, have comforted me. Personal salvation grace and this song of salvation grace will cause us to corporately rejoice unimaginably. In God's constant satisfaction, the wellspring of God's kindness toward us, in that constant quenching of our thirst, we're going to be overwhelmed by delight and joy unspeakable in that. And all of this is going to result in the universal proclamation of the name of the Lord. He who is mighty has done great things. He who is mighty has done great things. And and, and what's right at the source of all this? This personal comfort, this corporate joy... This universal proclamation. What's right at the center of all, all the wonderful realities that cause us to sing? I mean, it is what God has done. And it is who God is. Right, Those are all there. But with all that, there's something that's most compelling and glorious in all of this. And it's verse 6. The Holy One of Israel is among you in His greatness. See, what God has done will make us sing who God is will make us sing we'll proclaim his name but what will really overwhelm us with this eternal compelling joy and comfort is this main thing Emmanuel God with us he will be in the resur- we, we we will be rather in the resurrected physical presence of God the son the eternal king wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace we 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 will really be there and we will really be singing the extraordinary truth of the presence of Christ that compels our entire experience. And if it seems too big to think that this could ever really be true, well, then we just need to re-up our fervent celebrations of the miracle of Christmas. Because the Lord who promises that we will sing an eternal, joyful song because He's with us, that same Lord has already come to us. And He's done what's necessary to prove His power. He's done what's necessary to provide us with the forgiveness of our sin and the relenting of God's anger. He's done what's necessary to destroy the works of the devil. While while the shepherds watched over their flocks by night, Jesus came. And if His promise to come once has been fulfilled, no doubt He'll keep His promise to come again. Christmas renews us in the anticipation of the advent of Christ. For now, it's for us to faithfully wait. The future can be filled with all kinds of stuff, fears, concerns, plans, ambitions, heartaches, happiness, all kinds of things. The future can be filled with all kinds of things for us, and it will no doubt bring much, most of which we have no idea what that will be. But this we do know. Come what may, our future selves will be joyfully drawing from the springs of salvation, and we will be singing, because the Holy One of Israel will be with us. And in that is his Christmas hope. And that is the reason we can continue to go forward in this life because of the assurance of what our future absolutely holds. A song of great joy. And so we're thankful to God for his word along these lines. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that we would be renewed in joy this morning. The prospect of what the future holds because of what you'll accomplish ultimately through Jesus. Oh Lord, that fills us with delight. It's a delight that we... Uh, have some taste of now, but look forward to knowing that ultimately it's it's not something we can imagine or conjure up in our minds. It's so great. But we pray that even that fact, the unimaginable greatness of the finality of your purposes, even that uh, would be a great comfort to us and and a great compulsion to us to take the message and spread it uh, so that others can find that comfort too. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.